It works for everyone, and it works particularly well when you attend to the process and realize you're in this process and not trying to judge prematurely the product you get. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, I have a tough question for you. This isn't an Ask Andrew Anything podcast, but in a way that kind of are, like, because I get to ask you anything. flatulence from cows would it take to send a rocket to the moon? I think we did that in episode 20, well, well, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, no more questions like that, please. No, okay. <laughs> well, you know, if we ask our online students, you know. <laughs> the sky's the limit. It's, uh, yeah, literally. <laughs> so my question is a question that we often get on our forums and on our Facebook page and customer service, what what's different about IEW? I'm more answering that question on the floor at conventions. Sure. And people will walk up, and if they don't know who we are, they'll say, so what do you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a huge question. Mm-hmm. So where to start, you know? Right. Well, what we do is a little different than most other publishers of writing programs. Number one we focus on the parent, the teacher. That's what we do, is teacher training, parent training. We want to educate with our system the person who will be teaching the children first. Right. So we don't have piles of books with a number on the cover and you buy one every year and throw it at the kid and say, here, do this and ask me if you have any questions. Yes, I like to think that we're actually doing a writing methods class that you would get at a university. Beyond that, mm-hmm. since there are very few universities <laughs> that actually have a writing methods this class. This is true, yes. Uh, but yes, that that is what we're doing. And of course, the results are, are clear. Uh, when people learn our system and do all the practicum exercises so mm-hmm. that they really learn it, they can teach it right. very competently to anyone of any age, grade, aptitude. So that's one difference. Philosophically, we're a little bit different in that we aren't either a creative writing program, which is all about engendering creativity and self-expression and imagination, which are not bad things, nor are we an academic writing program. Here's how to do a term paper. We have, I think, the the perfectly balanced integration of these two things with the nine units. Mm -hmm. So once we show the kids how to uh, make keyword outlines from a source text and summarize from that, then we can show them how to make keyword outlines from a story they know, they read or they remember. We can show them how to make keyword outlines based on pictures. We can show them how to plan an essay. And that's going to be a combination of taking information from one place and also what do you think about that information, adding your own insight into it, analysis, whatever. And so 
we are very balanced between those two things. And what we find is that they, they support each other very well. Mm-hmm. Creative writing without some almost academic type of structure can be very rambling and redundant and tedious to read. And then purely academic writing without some of the, the flourishes that make language fun can be tedious. And so what do we get? We get, with that balance, creative and academic structure and style in writing. Right. So that's another thing that differentiates us. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the thing that people like to hear the most is our checklist system. Yes. Because that demystifies what to teach. Right. You know, how many times have we heard, well, I think I write pretty well. I mean, I like to, and I always got A's in my classes, but I don't remember learning how to do it. So I'm not sure how to teach my student. Exactly. Yep. We've heard that a lot. Exactly. That's my story. And the opposite thing we hear is, I learned absolutely nothing about how to write. (laughs) I don't like doing it. I have no desire to teach it. Can you help me? Right. Uh, And And the answer to both is yes. The answer to both is yes. And the answer from both sides of that spectrum, so to speak, when you Mm -hmm. meet those people a year or two later is, oh, if I had only had this (laughs) when I was in college, if I had only known this when I was in school. Right. And uh, I just laugh and smile and say, yeah, if I only had a dime for every time I've heard someone say that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the checklist seems to be the part that allows everyone to grasp the next thing to do. Now, a lot of people have rubrics, right? So here's things that students should try to do when they write. Five points for this, 10 points for that. But but ours is very specific, and we start with the dress-ups. We have the openers. We have the decorations. We have the topic clincher rule. We have the things that should be in an introduction, the things that should be in a conclusion. And those are all, you did it or you didn't. Mm-hmm. There's not a, a judgment on how well did you do it. But it's in the paragraph or it's not. And that makes it, number one, easy to to communicate to the student. Here's what's expected. Number two, it makes it easy to give feedback to the student. You did everything or, nope, you're missing this one thing. You have to redo it. Right. It also then helps the teacher know what's next. So if you have a checklist with seven things on it and those doing those seven things is relatively easy, for the student. We've talked a lot about easy, meaning without much help, doesn't sound too goofy most of the time. Uh, Once the student can do those seven things, then you know, okay, it's time to add in another technique. So let's demonstrate, let's practice a little bit, talk about it. Okay, now on your checklist, there's eight things. And you do those eight until that becomes easy. And when that's relatively easy. And that could take, you know, a week, a month, or a year. You, you don't know. It depends on the age, aptitude, everything. Then you can add the next thing. So while what we cannot do is predict the speed at which the next thing needs to be added to the checklist, we can predict the next thing that will be introduced. Right. And so that gives a, a plan, gives a, a curriculum, it gives a, a method One of the problems we have, of course, is if you have a group of children, it could be a class of 22 or 30, or it could be three kids at home or a co-op of 10. It doesn't matter. Any group of children, there will be a range of 
natural language aptitude. Right? Right. Absolutely. And so what happens is you can give the same checklist to 10 people, 20 people. Some people will do everything on the checklist and it'll sound very natural, smooth, makes sense. Other people do everything on the checklist and it's neither natural nor smooth and sometimes doesn't make sense. And that's a frustration for a teacher or a parent or whoever's working the system. And the temptation is to blame the checklist. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, because we're making the student do these six things in each paragraph, that's why it's awkward. Although, honestly, <laughs> if you didn't have the checklist and just said write the thing, they would probably have less of a sense of what to do and it would still be awkward. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what, what, we're, what I'm always trying to do is help teachers and parents understand that we want to attend to the process, not the product. Okay. There is a great scene okay. in one of my uh, least liked movies. Okay. Is the best scene in any movie ever. It's that uh, film uh, River Runs Through It. Do you remember that? It's, it, it's like a they, fly fishing movie. Yeah, saying, it's right? fly fishing in Montana. The movie is actually from the autobiography of Norman MacLean, the American author. And he talks about uh, how growing up in rural Montana with his father, who was a, a very taciturn Scottish Presbyterian minister who was teaching these boys in this rural place, basically homeschooling, really, mm-hmm. how he taught his son the economy of language by doing a lot of writing. And so the 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 book talks about it more, but the scene in the movie is priceless. So here's a very young Norman McLean sitting at a table writing. He's probably 10 years old. And he writes this thing, and he comes in, and he slides it across the desk to his father, who's in his office working or whatever. And uh, his father marks on it a little bit, slides it back across the table, and said, half as long. <laughs> okay. So he goes back, and he writes the whole thing again brings it into his father, slides it across the table, and uh, his father marks on a little bit, slides it back, and says, again, half as long. Wow. He goes back, and he writes the third version of it and comes in and slides it across to his father. His father reads it and says, good. Hands it back to him. Now throw it away. And the boy crumples up the piece of paper, throws it in the trash can, runs out of the room to grab his fishing pole, and out the front door, and his mother screams, Norman, wait for your brother. Okay. <laughs> now, sometimes I will describe this scene to mothers in particular. Mm-hmm. And when you say, now throw it away, they get this horrible look, like, throw it away? Right. You know, he put so much effort into that. But the lesson, which is so valuable from this, I guess you could you could extract many lessons, mm-hmm. which is... If you're really tough, taciturn, Presbyterian homeschooling dad, you might be able to force a boy to write something three times. <laughs> right. I don't know. But the, the more valuable lesson is that it's all about the process. What was learned that mm. day, not the product. I mean, objectively, objectively, the writing of a 10-year-old is worthless. <laughs> Honestly. I mean... It's not going to be of lasting value to anyone except maybe the mom. 
unless you have an absolute prodigy, right? It's objectively worthless. However, what was learned that day mm-hmm. was priceless. And it was the crafting of the writer. Mm-hmm. That was the child who became mm-hmm. the author. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we want to understand here is that when we are working with all of these rules and the checklist and we're saying, okay, I'm sorry, you missed this on the checklist, do it again, right? You have to, you have to do these things. We're not saying you have to do these things so that we get better writing. That's not the objective of the checklist. Now, if you do the checklist and you believe that the writing is better because of it, well, okay, fine. But that's not the purpose. The purpose of the checklist isn't to make better writing. It's to create better writers. Right. It's to develop the skill. And in any number of talks, we've gone over this whole idea of training using either a music analogy or a sports analogy, you know, playing scales, etudes, and arpeggios, not so you can go perform them, but so that your ability to play improves doing wind sprints and, and sit-ups, not so that you can show off your wind sprints and sit-ups, <laughs> but so that you'll be better on the court or the field. Great. Right? And so when we're teaching with this system, we are growing the skills of the writer without the expectation that all their writing is going to be good. And, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I think he could do a better job if he didn't have to follow the checklist. Well, that may be true. You could also run faster without weights. Why do you run with weights? So that when you take them off, you can run faster. Do you see? So uh, that, I think, is a, a critically important thing for people to remind themselves of. And it's hard because we do live kind of in a a culture mm-hmm. right now absolutely where it's all about product yep you know the proof is in the pudding right oh and instant results so we want instant product instant product instant pudding <laughs> and we we are we're dissatisfied or unhappy when we can't get that right so what do we have to do just take a deep breath and get perspective and remember that you know, children are in a developmental process, and part of that is their language development, and that isn't going to happen according to someone else's schedule. They're going to grow and mature at different rates, and you can still work the system, teach them the things they need to know, and as they grow and mature, then those tools become more well used. And I think the, the thing to refer people to is the, the talk on the four deadly errors. Right. If, uh, if any of you out there listening haven't heard that talk, the four deadly errors of teaching writing, I'd highly recommend it because one of those things that I stress is the danger of over-expectation. Expecting a 12 or 13-year-old to write like a college student. Right. Now, are there some 13-year-olds who write like college students? Yes. But to expect that they're all going to do that according to the same schedule is as ridiculous as expecting them all to grow to the same height or, you know, walk on the same day of life. You know, we're, we're all just so different. In the schools, I think it's a little tougher. It's, I think it's harder for teachers 
because they're more, well, homeschool parents tend to judge themselves and scrutinize themselves and be afraid that they might be failing their children somehow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teachers are being scrutinized. And so they're experiencing this in a different way. And so they have the student and they're teaching writing and they put the papers on the wall and the parents come in and they see two papers on the wall and they both have A. And one of them sounds, you know, eloquent and, and artistic and creative and the other one just barely scrapping it out. Well, how can you give both of these papers an A? Right. They're clearly not the same. One is clearly better than the other. So the teacher using the system have to explain <laughs> to the parents and sometimes to the administrators, sometimes to other teachers, this is how this works. We have the rubric. We have the checklist. If a child does everything on the checklist, they get 100%. Right. And if they don't, they need to rewrite that paper. Mm-hmm. Or if they don't have time or you're not willing to fight that battle, they get less than 100%. Right. But it should be possible for everyone to get 100%. Right, because of the process, not because the product. The, yep, exactly. So then you can say what we're aiming for here is skills development. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, when they learn a unit in the nine units, will say, but but what about? Most commonly, we hit this in unit four or six. Mm-hmm. We're talking about writing short reports, summarizing information from a single or in unit six from multiple sources. And people say, but what about... Don't you have to have like an introduction and conclusion? I mean, don't you have to make this a whole? What they want is a finished product that looks like it's supposed to. They want a unit eight before they know how to do a unit four. And what we're trying to do is say, no, teach in pieces. Mm -hmm. Learn this piece first, then learn this element, then you've got this. Now Mm -hmm. take all those things. Now you're ready for unit eight. You're ready to put it all together, so to speak. And it's not like we're withholding that information because a, a well-rounded, complete language arts curriculum, you know, we, we wink at each other when we say that because what exactly is that? But part of that is reading out loud and reading good books. And so they're seeing the whole. But to actually learn how to create a whole, you've got to break it into its parts. That's, I think, what a lot of people find out mm-hmm. when, when they... When they finally kind of understand what we what we do, mm-hmm. either because they've listened attentively or they've learned it and gone and tried it and come back and and talk to us, finally, I see how to take this complex, even overwhelming thing of teaching writing and break it into its smaller component parts. Yep. And not only does that work in their situation, whatever it is, it works in every situation. It's how we would approach special ed. What do you do? Take a complex thing, break it into smaller pieces. ELL, what do you do? You take the thing called English language, writing, and break it into smaller component pieces. And it works for students who have difficulty in language. It works for the dyslexic. It works for the mildly autistic. It works for everyone, and it works particularly well when you attend to the process and realize you're in this process and not trying to judge prematurely the product you get. So Andrew, you've taught many students over the years. Can you describe a time where you've actually encountered this firsthand with a student process over product? 
I do remember one student in particular who I really thought I had completely failed. Mm. I was living in Idaho at the time. I had a little group of about a dozen kids. I had basically the same group for two years. So when we started, they were all 12, 13, 14, and then two years later, they were two years older. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And uh, this one boy, Tim, was clearly not happy to be in the class. Mm. Uh, He was a bit on the rude side. Mm. He was very kind of mean in a subtle way, especially to girls. He um, didn't like the whole process, but he was there, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, we, we worked at it, and I just taught the class, gave the assignments, and then I would get his papers. And, you know, in the beginning, I just couldn't figure out what he was trying to say. I mean, mm. it was so disjointed. Mm. It just didn't make sense most of the time. And I tried hard. I sat down, you know, Tim, can you tell me, you know, tell me, what are you trying to say here? And he couldn't even do that. And it really didn't get much better in two years. I mean, he kept doing the assignments, and I kept marking them, and he'd he'd stick in the you know the stuff on the checklist. And but it, honestly, most of it really didn't make sense, and I didn't know what to do about it. Well, um, we kind of wrapped that class up, and then about two years later, we were going to move from Idaho to California, and. Word got around the community, Pudawas are moving, okay. So he called me up one day and said, um, oh, Mr. Pudawak, I heard you guys are leaving. Could I come over and talk to you for a minute? Okay, sure, mm-hmm. come on over. Now he's probably 17 or something mm-hmm. now, right? And he uh, he comes up, he says, well, I wanted to do two things. One is I wanted to, to kind of apologize because I think a, a few years ago when I was in your writing class, I was maybe not very polite. And I said, Tim, no problem, I was probably like that too when I was that age, water under the bridge. Mm. Then he said, well, and I've been writing this thing. I was wondering if you could take a look at it. So he (laughs) hands me this uh, manila envelope, uh, and I open it up. There's, I don't know, maybe 20 pages in there. And I'm thinking, wow, okay. And I said, well, I I don't have time right now to read that. Oh, no, no, here's my email in the corner. And if you have any suggestion or anything you want to say, you know, just you could email me. That would be great. So he loved. Well, curiosity was getting me on this. Mm-hmm. So I open the thing up. I read the first page. It's some kind of medieval romance novel. And I get to the end of the first page, and I'm thinking, there's no way. This is good. Mm. This is actually interesting enough that I want to read the second page, which <laughs> is rare when it comes to student writing. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I read a little bit on. I'm just thinking, how is this possible? I even called his mother. I said, Tim came over and talked to me, showed me this thing he's been writing. And she said, oh, yes, you know, it's just wonderful. Things just kind of clicked for him about six months ago, and uh, his writing just really took off. And I'm I'm sure your class had so much to do with that, and we're really grateful. And I, I was thinking, my class had nothing to do with this. This was divine intercession. <laughs> you know, this was miraculous change. <laughs> but I've seen that. Again and again, kids who at 12 or 13 or 14 or even 15 were writing really stuff that sounded awkward and odd, 
that surely is frustrating to the adults who are teaching them, trying to get them to stop being awkward or odd. And what can you do? I mean, it's, it's like Dr. Suzuki says, you can't yell at a plant, grow, 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 and make it grow. You have to give it sunlight and nutrition and water and wait. Mm-hmm. And then it will grow on its own speed. Mm-hmm. Kids are so much like that in many ways. We can teach, right? We can give the instruction, the modeling. We can have them practice what we're trying to learn, but we can't make them grow up and be you know, smart and mature. That will happen on its own schedule. So I think it's uh, very, very important for all of us teaching, whether we're in the homeschool, uh, co-op or tutorial, hybrid school type of environment, or in the, in the five-day-a-week classroom, to understand that we're teaching a process. The kids can internalize the process. We don't have to judge the benefits of that by the product. We, don't, we, we have to operate in faith, mm-hmm. as we always do, that I'm teaching the best I can, and this student will internalize this as best he can, and it will all come out in the end. Right. And stick at it long enough, that's what you find out. It all comes out in the end. Absolutely. And that's what we're here to do is help teachers become the best that they can because it's a process for them too, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Andrew. My pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.